0: In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the
1: X's and Argo's podcast.
0: Welcome to the X's and Argo's pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as we get you set for the second consecutive matchup between the Toronto Argonauts and the Hamilton Tiger-Cats. There's a ton of stuff to go through today, especially considering we just saw this team, but there's a bunch of signings we need to talk about, uh, a couple of releases I want to talk about too, some injuries that are going to change things for the Toronto Argonauts. We'll get into that a little bit as well as going through the regular injury report. We've got to talk about crowd noise, because that's a topic that blew up this week, and I want to put that to bed. And it's a yet another test for Coach Dimwitty, who has excelled in back-to-back matchups throughout his tenure as head coach of the Toronto Argonauts. We'll see how he fares in this one. Plus, we've got OCDC predictions. One thing, our world-famous fantasy advice, which lit the world on fire last week. And our CFL picks. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, let's get right into it with some of these signings. We haven't had a chance to talk about uh, the last two waves of signings. And we kind of want to go through these uh, to, to get this out of the way. But also, there are some people in here that I think are going to start contributing that aren't just names that are brought in and are going to be released in a, in a few days' time. So in that first wave of signings we saw that we haven't really had a chance to discuss yet. The Argos signed quarterback Ben Holmes, defensive lineman Brandon Barlow, and uh, kick return specialist uh, Jeremiah Haydell, who's uh, a wide receiver technically. And they released Ja'Kai Polite and A.J. Richardson. So let's go through a a few things here. First of all, let's talk about those releases. Were you surprised at the release of Ja'Kai Polite? Not not really. Um,
1: He... I, I think it was great he made it this far. He must have been you know somebody who who did buy into the program but at at defensive line he he's, he's not you know it's, it's hard to say what he would bring because you know he's he's a little big for being a pure speed pass rusher. Uh, could he hold his own in the middle like where Achampong is? you know, probably not. I think, you know, I think he was kind of a depth guy and it, it it does speak to, I think, how much they like the guys they're bringing in.
0: Yeah, for sure it does. And Chicaipo, I, I I just think in watching him, I'm I just not sure he, he's got it anymore. And it's really sad because he was electric in college and it, it's not, not that long ago. It's not like he's 35 years old or something like that. But that's the thing. Sometimes it it just goes and it doesn't have to be a massive difference. But at that level, just a small percentage difference in your speed or in your strength or in your reaction time can be all it takes for you to go from being elite to uh you know being released. And unfortunately that seems to be what what has happened with him he seemed to have done everything right i didn't hear anything bad about him in his time here and so maybe he'll get another shot somewhere i I certainly hope he does um and you know maybe maybe that uh, will turn into something for him but yeah it's it's unfortunate to see a guy like that go because he had so much talent but i think the argos are probably correct they've got such strong defensive linemen that uh, they're gonna cycle another guy through and see if see if they can hit on wouldn't, it.
1: Wouldn't surprise me if Ottawa took a look. You know they've had some success with uh, ex Jets on their defensive line. So.
0: And what about Edmonton? They seem to enjoy going going through our laundry. So, I I don't know. Uh, well, they need. If I'd be too surprised if he ended up there. They need a lot. They do. They do. He he could get a chance out there. So. Uh, hopefully, hopefully it's not over for him. AJ Richardson is just a thing that it, like that situation really upsets me, his release, because it's just like w- w- the difference in one play. He was slated to play, uh, in a game a couple of weeks ago. And I think we don't know this for sure, but I think he would have started and he ends up getting banged up at the end of practice isn't able to play that week, and, and you know, that that's it. It just shows, you know, one play, one drill, uh, one practice rep, and that can that can change your entire season. It can change your entire life. And I, I really liked A.J. Richardson. I'm hoping that after he rehabs from his injury that he's able to catch on. Uh, hopefully here in Toronto, I would like to see him back. He's got a lot of talent. I really like him as a receiver, big body. I was so excited about him being able to get into the game before – uh, you know, some of these pieces started coming back: Eric Rogers and Jawan Bruskus, et cetera, and they just uh, never, never came to fruition. So, hopefully for him, he can he can rehab, get himself healthy, and, and get another shot. But it was sad to see those guys go. Um, let's talk about those guys that they brought in. So, uh, Brandon Barlow. I, I don't know too much about. I uh, looked at a bit of his film. I it's. I, I don't think I, I see him breaking the starting lineup anytime soon. But you never know. Uh, we'll see. The other two guys I do think we'll see, or at least you haven't heard the end of. So Jeremiah Haydel is an electric returner. He spent some time with Saskatchewan. He previously spent some time with the Los Angeles Rams. His issue is that he's not a very big guy, like six feet 170. It's, you know, it's not the most durable frame for somebody that's going to be a return specialist. But man, is he fun to watch. And we're talking about, I know you're, you've are you retired from talking about uh, return the return game for the Toronto Argonauts, JB, you would love to see Jeremiah Hadel out there returning punts and kicks for the double blue. The issue is whether or not they can afford a roster a roster spot to bring in a guy who's not going to get any receiver reps. I, and I don't know if they can. They didn't last week, right? You had no, you had no Isaiah, right? You had they were putting Adibaboye back there with Gittins Jr. because they couldn't budget the space for a return specialist on their roster. But if they can. He's a guy I want to see. It's a lot to it's a lot to give up unless you know
1: you have an incredible weapon and the punt return blocking is just so poor that I you know look, I mean look at Worthy. He wouldn't be doing this in Toronto. Like the the punt block the punt return blocking is just really not good. So I I don't think it matters
0: who you bring in. It may not. And I, I can't disagree with you. It does look terrible. It's not the schemes. It's just guys are, can't hold their blocks for very long. And so you, every time the, the returner gets gets the ball, there's like three guys running at him who are no longer being blocked by anybody. And you see Argonauts chasing them down the field. Um, it, but it's not, it's not a question of X's and O's. It's not like Coach Donovan is out there drawing stuff up that doesn't make any sense. The designs are fine, but the players they've got are are losing their blocks. They're just... They just don't seem to be very good at, at return blocking. And hopefully this is something that the coaching staff can teach. I know they're going over it in practice a lot. They spend a lot of time on it in practice. We've talked about that extensively, but it hasn't translated yet in the games. Now, sometimes having a guy back there that you think as a return team is going to create some magic, sometimes that is a motivator and that can get people sort of jacked up to to succeed in the return game. But yeah, we haven't seen any indication of that yet. Moving on to quarterback Ben Holmes, this is the guy that I'm most excited about, but it's not going to be for this season. So, let me go back a little bit with Ben Holmes. When he when we first signed Ben Holmes, I actually wasn't that excited because I'd seen him play spring league. Uh, was that last year? Was it two years? I think it was. I think it was last year spring league, uh, and he looked fine, and that was really all I knew of him. And so when I saw the name Ben Holmes, I knew he spent some time in Edmonton, and and then got released there. And so you know it, it didn't really flash for me. But then as I started thinking about it and thinking about the fact that they had just brought in Khalil Tate and then like it was like 28, 48 hours later, they bring in Ben Holmes. That just seemed a little bit odd to me. And so I started digging and started looking into it a little bit more. And there's some there's some film of Ben Holmes pre Spring League that I think is extremely exciting. And I totally see what the Argos are excited about in bringing him in and why they would release Khalil Tate, uh, who is a name that we had heard and is a name I was excited about, to bring in a guy like this. His release is extremely quick. His accuracy doesn't show up in the stat sheet, but that's not him. If you go back to his college tape, the teams they played almost exclusively were in man coverage against his squad that it was good, but they didn't have a lot of receivers that could separate. And so for him to complete a pass, he had to be like deadly accurate. And he was a lot, but he was a victim of some drops and guys just weren't getting open, weren't creating any space. But yeah, his release, his arm strength, his decision-making are all really top-notch. And I was confused when he was the number four overall draft pick in, in the USFL draft because, again, I was just basically it on the spring league thing, but obviously they've done a lot more homework than I have. And as I started to do that too, I got pretty excited. So again, it's not for this year. Just like Chad Kelly's not for this year, but he's a guy to be, I think, almost excited about as as we are about Chad Kelly.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm. I like the idea of having quarterback depth. Um, does it even open up potentially, you know, a Chad Kelly trade market? You know, who knows.
0: I don't want to trade Chad Kelly or Ben Holmes. So I think but I think the quarterback situation is really good right now. You got McLeod Bethel Thompson who's playing his best football that he's maybe played, Edmonton basically. maybe
1: Edmonton will give us an offensive lineman for Chad Kelly.
0: If Edmonton had an offensive lineman.
1: <laughs>
0: well, there's, there's there's starting there's starting guys that, that the Argos didn't want anymore. So I, I don't know. I don't I just don't think there's and I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's that. I don't think that's going to happen at all. Let's get into the second wave of the signings, and these are more related to the injuries we saw last week. So uh, these are signings from this week. Faces we're familiar with. Max Latour, long snapper, is back. He spent the end of last season with the Toronto Argonauts as the long snapper after Jake Reinhardt's injury. And that seems to be a response to, again, Jake Reinhardt being injured. And we'll talk about his injury in just a moment. And Maurice Carnell IV has also been brought in. Remember, he was a uh, training camp darling that everybody loved. He made some really nice plays in the double blue game and then couldn't couldn't seem to match that level in the preseason games they had and was a late cut. And so he's back. Uh, and that's likely a response to Shaquille Richardson's injury. So, let's talk about Jake Reinhardt first. It seems to be the same elbow that he injured last year, which was a an extremely serious injury that uh, you know, there's there's some there's some stories that you can find online. I can't remember the exact source of the story that I know we read in the offseason, but it was just a harrowing tale of of what could have been and he got very lucky. Um, that he was able to to get surgery to repair the elbow and to return to football and have not only that, just like to, to even have full use of his arm, and so to see a setback here, to see that same elbow um, get injured is is scary, and you hope for Jake that this isn't a long term thing, but uh, it it probably will be you know we're we, we don't know but it's just you you want to be so careful with something like that so i just hope they're and i know they will be smart about it they're not going to rush him him back at all but you just hope that the jig's doing all right um because that was that was such a devastating injury max latour is going to come and fill in how nice is it to have a long snapper that they're familiar with a long snapper that these guys have all worked with before that's that's got to be a relief to go out there in the market and say oh you know, thank thank goodness Max Latour is available. And Maurice Carnell IV, probably, I I wouldn't think, is going to get on the field this week. The, I, the way I would imagine this will work out is Shaq Richardson, it's a groin injury, so we're probably talking about, you're probably talking close to that six-week range with a groin injury. So he's probably going to be put on the six-game injury list, which makes the most sense cap management roster-wise. And so probably what they're going to do is either use Holden or Priester. And Priester was the one who filled in last week. He looked really good doing it. So I think that's probably the first answer. Robertson Daniels still isn't ready to return yet. When he is, that may change things up a little bit. But I think until then, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Maurice Carnell fourth dress. And they have... Priester starting for Shaq this week. I think that's probably the most likely scenario.
1: Yeah, he looked really... I mean, we talked about it. He looked really good. He's not Shaq, um, but he held his own, and if they can get that um, long-term, that's fantastic.
0: Yeah, Priester Priester blew us away, but uh, let's see now that Hamilton's had a week. Yeah, they can scheme up for it a little more, yeah. Yeah, don't think I'm not doing that in our OCDC segment. (laughs) A story blew up this week where Toronto has been accused of pumping fake crowd noise into BMO Field. And I feel like we have to not only address this, but but just put this thing to bed. It's it's ridiculous. First of all, pumping in crowd noise doesn't work the way that the noise sounds at BMO. Watch the game back. Like, let's just ignore the visuals. I'll get to that part in a second. Watch the game back. Listen to the highlights. Whatever it is, you would need a highly skilled full-time crowd noise operator with various buttons to push to trigger all the reactions. It's not like crowd goes from loud to quiet or whatever else. Watch the highlights. Watch the game. Listen to the crowd noise. It responds. It reacts to absolutely everything. I promise you that is not happening. Now, I get why people think that, especially watching on TV, and there's two reasons for it. So, let's talk about people in the stadium first. BMO is a very loud stadium and the reason for that is that it's got a roof over the seating sections. Now, the east side of the stadium is not very loud because there aren't very many people in it. The west side of the stadium is very packed. It's not full, but it's packed. And there's a roof right over top of it and it's a metal roof and the, the noise echoes like you wouldn't believe, it's extremely loud. More so in the actual stands than onto the field, but it's really loud in the stands when you're on the west side. It's way harder to create that kind of crowd noise in a place like McMahon or Commonwealth. Commonwealth is is the worst. Like, you need... You need that place to be packed at Commonwealth for it to sound like a loud stadium just because the noise is lost. Not only do you have a track around the football field, but the way the stands are angled. Everyone's so far away. BMO is built in a way where the stands are actually quite close to the field, which makes for a great viewing experience. But it's that roof. The roof over top keeps the noise in and it makes it sound very loud. Then you add in the fact that Toronto, while they may not have the best gate attendance, in fact, they have the worst gate attendance, everybody that goes to a Toronto Argos game is is an elite fan because you have to go through so much garbage as an Argos fan in Toronto because... You hear it from not only your not only friends and family, but from media, from from everybody else in the city. You've got to have some resilience to be a diehard Toronto Argos fans. And the Toronto Argos fans that there are there, the nine or ten thousand that go to the games, are the loudest fans in the city. And so everyone there, even if it's just ten thousand, is making a lot of noise. And that noise is bouncing off the roof, and it echoes, it resonates. Last point: the TV audience. This is this is the part that I, I totally understand people thinking that there's crowd noise being pumped in who are watching it on TV because the way the sun works at BMO Field, the BMO's end zones run north-south, the field runs north-south. So the setting sun in the west makes it so if you're on the east side of the stadium, at, at kickoff for evening games, you were staring directly into the setting sun. It's actually I I find it a terrible place to watch a game. But they can't put cameras on that side because of the sun. You can't have your TV cameras staring directly into the setting sun. So all the cameras are on the west side, which is where all the fans are, too, because all Argo's fans know you sit on the west side so you don't have to stare into the sun the whole game uh, because it's a terrible viewing experience. So you've got all of TSN's cameras looking across to the east side, which is largely empty. But you've got all of TSN's microphones that are on the west side with all the fans. So on TV, you're seeing empty stands and you're hearing a packed stadium. You're hearing 90% of the fans who are sitting around the microphones uh, in a stadium with a roof where the sound echoes. And so that is why it sounds loud at BMO. You've got great fans in a section with a roof sitting next to microphones while the cameras look at the empty side of the stadium. That's the last I'm going to address this issue. JB, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I,
1: I I agree that it seems weird. That was my impression for sure. Like, how is it so loud when there are really not that many people here? Um, but all of your points, I think, are, are bang on. When I was at the game at Acadia, there's only 10,000 people there. And it was loud. Now, it was loud for Saskatchewan, but it was loud. And, you know, that's basically like 8,000 Saskatchewan fans and there was no roof. So when you think about, yes, 10,000, 11,000 is not uh, that impressive a number. Um, It is still a lot of human beings if they're all making noise. You know, 10,000 in the Sky Dome would be nothing, but I think exactly as you say in, in BMO, which is built to be loud. um, And I've heard BMO be very loud. um, It's all metal. Sound bounces off everything. There's nothing deadening the noise. Um, I think it really is a tribute to the fans who come, uh, how loud they are that, you know, poor Hamilton losers are making up stories about, why their team can't handle uh, a few cheers while they uh, go up and down the field. I think, uh, you know, I I feel bad for Hamilton that it's gotten to that point. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and just to, the last thing, I wanted to respond to something you said about the Saskatchewan fans. Those are basically the same kinds of people. Like someone that's going to travel across the country to cheer on their team is probably going to make a lot of noise at a game. And that's the same thing. A, a Torontonian or someone that lives in the GTA that's going to go to BMO and endure all the difficulties that are thrown at them is a true fan is a diehard fan that is going to be there and they're going to make noise and they're going to tailgate before the game and they're going to own jerseys and everything else and those and those are the Saskatchewan fans that went to the travel across the country it's the same it's the same breed of fan it's a diehard passionate CFL fan that is there to make noise and cheer on their team. Let's get into this test for coach Dinwiddie so we talked earlier in the season about how coach Dinwiddie is now three and O in the second half of back-to-back games. Here's yet another test. And I think this one is maybe the most difficult because you're coming off a win in the first leg against Hamilton. And you look at the other three examples uh, that the coach Dinwiddie went through the first two were coming off a loss on the first leg. and, the most recent one, which is this year against Saskatchewan, in the second half, the second leg of that that back-to-back, it wasn't a healthy riders team. And so this might be a really good test for Coach Dinwiddie coming into play in Hamilton. Hamilton is extremely desperate for a win, and Toronto was coming off a win. And we all, we've talked about this a lot, how difficult it is to beat a team in two consecutive games, especially when there's not a huge disparity between the talent level of the teams.
1: Yeah, it is going to be, you know, they're almost the same team and Toronto has shown a kind of one game on, one game off vibe for quite a while now. Um, Hamilton, in some ways, should have won this game comfortably uh, had they, you know, taken care of business in that first half a little more with field goals instead of touchdowns. Um, it's and it's tough to to win in Hamilton, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be close again. But I I do think that they are so identical that you know I don't think I don't think Hamilton has a gear that we need to fear.
0: Let's get into the team's injury reports. So we'll start with Toronto. I think there's some good news here. Like, obviously, the bad news we've talked about already. Losing Shaq Richardson, he's uh, he's almost certainly not going to play this week. Jake Reinhardt, same thing. Um, there are some other concerns. Seeing Eric Rogers not practice today it is a little bit of a worry. But you never know with first practice of the week. Because a lot of guys, a lot of teams do rest veterans for a day. This happens once you get to midseason. You start seeing that more and more. And so you've got... You've got Eric Rogers who who didn't practice at all. It wouldn't be surprising then to see him go full tomorrow. But if he doesn't, then you got to start paying attention. And, you know, maybe if he isn't able to go this week, maybe it's time to activate Jaron Breskoson, who did go full today. Uh, there were some other concerning things in that Robert Priester was limited. But again, I think that's something where with a hamstring injury, uh, you know, maybe something that he just felt a little bit of tightness. You want to be extra careful with it, uh, but that would be a concern. If Priester can't go, then suddenly uh, you're getting a little worried now because you're 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 getting Holden in there. It means you may need to get Maurice um, Carnell in there as well. Uh, so we'll have to monitor that. And then the good news sort of countering that with the DBs is Josh Haggerty uh, was a full go today. He was so badly missed on special teams. So more than anything else, I'm excited to get him back out there uh, just for simply for his special teams coverage ability, which is elite. Dejon Allen is back to practicing at least uh, somewhat. He's listed as limited, which... Uh, is, I think, well, it's certainly more positive than not even being out there, which was the case last week. But this brings up an interesting dilemma the Argos have here. So they had the, the all five Canadian offensive linemen starting last week. And it's not starting Canadians. That's not the issue. They actually started 10 last week. And I don't remember the last time they did that. They have to think about if Dejan Allen can go, where do you start him? So you think you've got we have the line from last week and every all five linemen from last week, thank goodness, are healthy and don't appear on this injury list. But you had Lawrence at center, McKellar at left guard, Philip Blake at left tackle, and then Bladick at right guard and Shane Richards at right tackle. If DeJuan Allen can go... And he's healthy. Like if he can actually go full, do you put him at left tackle or right tackle? What do you do with that offensive line? Because he can play both both sides pretty much the same.
1: Yeah, probably left tackle.
0: I think I think that's your optimal uh, lineup, to be honest. And then so McKeller sits, and and Blake goes to guard. Yeah, it just look, seems like he's been playing pretty well.
1: I, look, and nothing against McKeller. Uh, I look. I think he's going to be. Um, a really good player. He has now held his own um, and 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 more so. But is he better than Dijon? No.
0: No, he's not. But but is he better than Shane Richards? Like if you put Dijon Allen at, at right tackle, and I don't know that he is. I'm not sure either. I, I actually agree with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. That's what I would do as well. I would put Dejon Allen at left tackle, put Blake back to guard where he's comfortable, and and I would rest the rookie. And then if, if Shane Richards isn't playing a good game or something like that, then you can move pieces around. You have that flexibility.
1: I think the more guys you have in the position that they are most comfortable with is, is the best rather than purely the best five guys. And I think, look, the rook has done well, and he's right there, and he can be a swing guy and keep learning, and uh, I, I don't think there's any... I don't think there's any shame in, you know, I, I'm not making a value judgment about him. The fact that he is a rookie and playing it all uh, speaks a lot to his talent.
0: And the last bit of concerning news uh that can be maybe balanced out with some positive news, uh, sticking with the DBs, Uh you had Tavares McFadden who did not practice today. Now I, I feel like Tavares is going to go. Um, He's got a rib injury. And those are a little different than the other things we're talking about. We're talking about hamstrings and quads and stuff. Not that rib injuries can't be painful. They can be extremely painful. Uh, but there are better ways to guard against that than there are with hamstrings and quads where there's just so little you can do. So, you know, maybe maybe Tavares can can take some extra padding and and get out there, especially with the with the DBs being as banged up as they are. But then the countering good news, Eric Sutton was a full go at practice. And so that gives you again some hope for reinforcements. Do you with with so many guys like on the cusp, do you is there any chance at all if you're coach do you say, you know what, let, let's rest a few guys this week and be healthy for Calgary coming in next week? Or do you put everything into trying to win this game?
1: I think you look to to try and bury Hamilton.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think you pull it all out this week. If you lose to Calgary, you know, whatever. But if you can win this game this week against Hamilton, uh, I think that's big. And uh, Andrew Harris, uh, it seems like uh, his wrist injury is not going to be that major, which is uh, oh, certainly man. a relief. He looked... He looked like a
1: guy who thought his wrist was broken when he came off the field.
0: And I'm sure I'm sure he did think that initially. And then, but like we talked about in the postgame, seeing him move his fingers around and seeing him be able to make a fist, that was highly encouraging. And then Coach Denwood, he said after after the game that uh, he believed it wasn't going to be a major thing. So he was limited in practice today, but I think if they need him, he'll be able to go uh, certainly for Friday. There's only one injury I want to talk about on the Hamilton side of things, and that. Is Dane Evans? So he's listed on the injury list. He did not practice today, listed as having a shoulder injury. I I don't know. Maybe this is veterans being rested. They had a few guys, a few veterans, not practice today, and we talked about that being a thing. But I kind of wonder. Just think of this from a coaching standpoint, and from just knowing how teams work. How comfortable do you feel, JB, as Dane Evans, when people are already asking for Matt Schiltz? And coach comes to you on Tuesday practice is like, you know, hey, why don't you, why don't you uh, sit it down today, rest that shoulder, and we'll see if you're good to go tomorrow. (laughs) Well, uh, running a two
1: quarterback system is one that is fraught with danger. And there's a reason very few teams do it. They seem to be able to get away with it in Hamilton, but. At a certain point he's he's gonna have an ego. you can't be a starting quarterback without ego. He has to be concerned about about that you know that uh being usurped from him um and then he's he's back to the bench guy i think i I feel Hamilton is thinking seriously about having a different starting quarterback at home and 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 letting and letting him letting him ride. And seeing what they have.
0: I feel like they're almost looking for an excuse to do it. And maybe the shoulder injury is that opportunity they need. And I feel for Dane Evans, it's a weird scenario because I actually, as much as we're sort of programmed to hate Hamilton, I really like both their quarterbacks. I like Schultz and, and Evans a lot. I, and I do feel like keeping Evans was the correct decision in in that offseason move they made, deciding to keep Evans over Masoli. I would have done the same. I think I think Evans is the better quarterback uh he hasn't really looked good this year but he hasn't looked as terrible as I think our, our memories believe him to have he's he's made some crucial mistakes some just absolutely crushing fumbles and in interceptions but he's also thrown for a ton of yards so uh, you know i I feel for him in this scenario but I also want Matt Schultz to get a chance, because I thought he was treated really unfairly in Montreal. I thought he looked fantastic in Montreal. And then suddenly they brought in everybody into the sun to, uh, to take his job away.
1: I, f- I would not be surprised at all. if short starts and he gets the first half and that they feel very comfortable making a quarterback switch at half if it isn't working. But that they would like to get a sense of, is he just a gadget guy? Or do we, in fact, have a quarterback here?
0: It's time for OCDC. Let's start off with the bad guys, JB. You are the defensive coordinator for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. What is your plan? Do you keep trying... Do you you continue on with the theme that seems to uh, have grown in popularity since Ottawa first tried it out? Shutting down the Toronto Argonauts' run game and let anything else beat you? Or do you have a new plan this week?
1: Yes, I think you have to stop, Harris. I think that you, you you still have to bring, you got to fill that box, I think you have to keep Harris in check. Um, you know, if you can keep MBT to 240 in a touchdown, you should win that game. You know from a defensive point of view, that, that, that is a statistic that should result in a win where there's no running yards and the quarterback throws for 240. That, that, that's a win. Um, so I I would still do that I think you're looking to frustrate Harris you're going to have a you know a full box Toronto doesn't have a change of pace back they don't have a lightning to go with Thunder you don't have to respect even their jet stuff not really you know you don't really maybe they get away with one but they're not going to run that play ten times Um, He doesn't really you know catch a ton out of the backfield so I I do that, I fill the box, and then in terms of defense, I think you, you definitely want to um, have tight man coverage, take away the middle of the field, and force Toronto back into those terrible checkdowns and the cross-field checkdowns that they like to throw. And They did not force Toronto into a ton of checkdowns. Um, I would have much tighter man coverage on second down uh, and and let my three-man line... Get to work, which was you know they they have some good defensive linemen there. I would, uh, you know, bring heat on on really important downs, but for the most part, uh, I'm looking to run
0: blitz and then back into pass coverage for the Hamilton offense. My plan would be as follows. First of all, I think you've got to continue the heavy use of Don Jackson. I think I think, you know, he and Dunbar, you sort of have to ride. Braylon Addison's injury is is devastating for Hamilton. I think he I I I don't know if he's their best player. I think he might be their most intelligent player. I, I think he brings that offense together. I think having his his route running and and the decisions that he makes, I think make Jackson and Dunbar better. So that that's a huge loss to me. So you're going to have to lean heavily on Jackson. So you need at least as many touches as he had last week. I think he had 10 carries, nine targets in the passing game. You've got to keep that up. If not, increase that. And I, I would actually run him a bit more. I think I'd go heavy. They Hamilton needs this game. And if you've got to hand the ball off to Don Jackson more times than you're comfortable with, well, this has got to be the game to do that. I also like the idea of... If let's assume they do uh, start and dress Evans. I like the idea of keeping Shilts in there only because they've set up something really nicely from last week. I don't know if you remember the, the sort of receiver screen they ran to Shilts. It was wide open. Yeah. The reason it was wide open is because they Toronto was thinking it's they know it's who it is. It's the quarterback. They're watching him. They threw a screen to Shields and he had like 20 yards to run because everyone was backing up in pass protection. So this is the week that you actually throw it. So you go quick screen to Shields and you have the double pass because they've set that up really nicely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I want to jump in here, but it, for sure um, what I would do, if I had a team playing games like that, getting cute, anytime somebody gets cute with you, that's when they need a punch in the mouth from a defensive football point of view. You want to get cute. We've got two quarterbacks. Which one's going to get the ball? Okay. How about the next time your man runs a fake? Just hit him. I don't care how many yards you get on that play. It's a free hit. He's going to run that run fake. I'm going to hit him as hard as I can with my biggest lineman. And if you stick your other quarterback out there, I'm sending two guys, maybe score a touchdown, but we are going to hit you so hard. You're going to wish that play had never been called. You know, that's what I would do. You know, defensively don't get cute. You want to beat us, beat us. You want to get cute. Well, we're going to punch you in the mouth.
0: Well, I would get cute with that. I think it's really well set up. I I know
1: you're an offensive guy. I know. Yeah, you will get cute, and I'll be like, okay, good play. I would have two guys, the moment they ran that play again, high and low, free shot, <laughs> free shot on the quarterback. Absolute oh. free shot. You, you know, you're not protected. You're just some dude out here on the wing throwing a ball, and we're going to make you pay.
0: Dunbar is going to be breakdancing in the end zone with like Don Jackson.
1: Fine, 7 nothing. You think you're going to win 7 nothing?
0: The other thing I would do on offense is uh, throw a ton of zone beaters at the Toronto D. We have talked about how the secondary is going to have to have a lot of pieces and potentially we know Shaq is not going to play. It's possible McFadden doesn't. So you're going to have new guys in there. Uh, yeah, throw, throw a ton of classic zone beaters in there. Toronto has shown difficulties in communication so far this year. Not so much last week. I thought they, they played really nicely last week, but... New pieces, um, new communication issues potentially. So yeah, ton of zone beaters. Look for Dunbar, uh, ride Don Jackson, use those double passes with Schiltz. That's that's my plan for the Hamilton offense. Let's go to the good guys, JB. What are you doing with Toronto's defense? Uh, I I liked how they played last
1: game. I thought that you know there were some busts and some 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 big plays, but. Nothing consistent in terms of not being able to handle Hamilton. I would I would ride Jackson harder coming out of the backfield. I thought he got too many easy receptions, too many easy screens. I thought they shut down the screen game in the second half, but I'm concentrating on that. I'm concentrating on, you know, pushing Jackson around, um, making every every time he touches the ball um, work. No free releases, no coming out and turning check down stuff. Uh Dunbar, of course, is a is a highlighted guy, but I mean, other than Dunbar and Jackson, what like what are you worried about? You know that now that it, you know, like from a defensive point of view, I'm like, I, I want to lean on Jackson every time he gets the ball, and uh, you know, I want I want Dunbar um, doubled in the red zone, and you know, always eye on Dunbar and alert Dunbar, especially when they do that that quad iso, but. That's what I'm, I'm looking to do. If, if you can slow Jackson's passing down, I don't think he has the stamina to
0: run for four quarters. And he may not. He hasn't really been tested that much. They certainly don't play him that way. They play him like uh, sort of like a, almost like a second back in terms of the number of carries that he gets. But they just haven't had a lot of success running. Now, they did last week, and that was what was so weird. Like Hamilton hasn't been able to run all year, and suddenly, last week they they could run the football. So
1: yeah, maybe maybe more run blitzing. I thought the linebackers were maybe a step slow reacting to. I thought Hamilton's offensive line got to the second level really well. So maybe maybe mix in a few more run blitzes to to take away that second level stuff.
0: For Toronto's offense, uh, I also like how Coach Dimity is set up. Uh, for things this week there were some things I was frustrated he didn't run last week but the good thing about that is getting the win you can now run them this week and they're set up really nicely so uh, I actually want to, I want to send uh, receivers deep this week. I, I think they, they ran so many routes last week playing off of Hamilton's... And we, we talked about this in OCDC last week. Remember, we, we talked about how Hamilton's corners had actually been victimized with deep balls. And so the strategy I would have had last week was to run a lot of deep comebacks. Toronto did that last week and they worked really well. They were wide open. And so now you go back again. So now as they compensate and adjust for that and try and close down some of the space on those comeback routes... And, and deep outs and stuff, now is when you go with those go routes. That's when you hit the double moves. So I want to see those. They're also set up for draws and screens. I was begging for a draw play last week, and I'm still not quite sure why we didn't see one. But now they're really set up now. So run your draws and screens, run your deep routes. The other thing I want to see is Hamilton threw a lot of man coverage at Toronto, far more so than they've seen in every game except the Ottawa game. Uh, I want to make that more difficult on Hamilton. So I want to run some stuff out of bunch. I want to run some stuff out of tight bunch where there's a lot of room to the outside because McLeod likes those throws. And I really want to mess with Hamilton defenders by having receivers switch on their waggle. So on the run-up, have guys sort of, uh, not zigzagging, but crossing such that it makes it more difficult for defenders to uh, know exactly which man they have off the snap. We did see Hamilton bust last week on the long pass to Cam Phillips. And I think if you can do some of that and play some games, you're going to find some more busts out there. So that'd be my plan for the Toronto offense this week. Predictions, JB. Uh, You started off for us. How is this one going to end? I desperately want
1: this to be an example of Toronto breaking the good game, bad game. And I'm going to go with it. I'm going to, I think Dinwiddie has shown that he is good at back to back games that he's able to adjust. He's able to throw a few wrinkles. It's been a strength of his. And I think they go into Hamilton and, and get it done. I think that the team is pretty healthy and feeling pretty confident. And as long as they can, uh, you know, add a special teams or a defensive touchdown. I think that's the difference. I think these are identical teams that are punching each other. And it just takes that one extra play, a special teams touchdown, a, a field goal block, uh, a pick six. That's going to be the difference. So I like I like Toronto to uh, to go in there and win uh,
0: 24-18. All right. I, I had a ton of trouble with this. I've gone through this game in my head again and again and again because there are so many arguments both for and against and some of my my principal beliefs in terms of predicting games uh you know that it's that you don't ever pick the same team in a back-to-back that won the first game uh, go against some of the the other principles that i have in which you look at a coach with a record and things that they're good at and, and like we've talked about coach did when he's very good at the second half of back-to-backs so i've got conflicting information here i i I think Toronto has a lot of trouble playing in Hamilton. I know there was a big win that that we were at last year in in the Thanksgiving game. I think it's a really tough place to play. I think Hamilton is really desperate, and I'm going to stick with that. It's tough to win back-to-back games against the same opponent, especially when they're really similar teams. So I think Hamilton is going to unfortunately pull this one out. I have Hamilton winning 31-24. What's your one thing, JB? JB?
1: You know what I want to see? I want to see a linebacker sack. That's what I want to see. I want to see. I. I I'm. I'm happy with the uh, the Peters sack uh, package. Um, I want to see a linebacker sack. I'd like. I'd like them to get there. I'd like to. I'd like more um, more of that in the game plan. To be honest, I think that to try and, you know, play some games up front and and fire those guys in, you know? I mean, McManus, he couldn't... If you ran the right game and McManus got a free shot,
0: oof. My one thing, I'm going to go with the one you wanted to do because I just can't... I can't take it anymore. It's not Harris specifically. I just want a rushing touchdown. Toronto has got to get a rushing touchdown just so that we can stop talking about it, just so that it stops staring at me every time I look at the stat sheet. I hate that the Toronto Argonauts do not have a rushing touchdown. It's got to happen this week. This doesn't factor into the way I want to see the game breakdown or a key to the game or anything else. It just bothers me that here we are in week 10 of the CFL season and the first place Toronto Argonauts do not have a rushing touchdown. That needs to end this week. I don't care how they make it happen. Put a rushing touchdown on the stat sheet. That's my one thing. All right. It's time for our world famous fantasy advice. JB, we've been crushing it the last couple of weeks with scores over 100. But last week in particular, what do we have like 137 or something like that? I think we were 18th in the world in <laughs> CFL fantasy football. Uh, so yeah, we're coming off a, a pretty stellar week. Uh, this week's pretty tough. It, it's getting harder because... It's getting harder to predict what's going to happen on, especially by our Tuesday podcast, uh, because you've only just started to see uh, injury reports come in, and some of these decisions we're going to have to kind of stay tuned. You're going to have to check depth charts and stuff like that. But I feel pretty good again about the the roster that we've got. So starting at quarterback, there's a couple guys we like. I know we both like we we still uh, both like the the price of McLeod Bethel Thompson. But I really like the value you're getting this week for Bo Levi Mitchell. He has not put up a ton of numbers last week, but here's why I like him. Bo Levi Mitchell, I think everyone can agree, is a great quarterback. And last week he was almost entirely shut down. He scored 10 points against Ottawa. The Calgary offense was only responsible for 10 points against the Red Blacks. And everybody in the world has been talking about how good the BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke is. And now Nathan Rourke's coming into Calgary and everyone's talking about it. People are asking Bo about it in in press conferences. You know, what do you think about Nathan Rourke? Isn't it exciting? And much like we saw with Zach Kolaros when he went into BC and threw 500 touchdowns because he was sick of hearing those same questions and hear everyone talk about how Nathan Rourke was clearly the MVP of the league. I think Bo Levi-Mitchell is going to absolutely step up this week uh, with a game that goes very much against what you saw him do last week. And I think he will put up Nathan Rourke numbers in Calgary. Uh, and I, I think for $7,400, start Bo Levi mitchell for running backs, uh, we got some value here. Don Jackson's uh, going to get targets. He's at 6,900. I think that's a great price for him. I don't think that's yet compensated for the fact that uh, they've lost the targets for Braylon Addison. So he's going to get a ton of touches, especially with CFL Fantasy, with you getting uh, reception points. Uh, you know, he had nine passing targets last week. I, I think that's a, that's a huge value play, even though I'm hoping Jackson doesn't have a great game. Chances are he's he's going to put up some numbers. So Don Jackson for under 7,000 is huge. And then you've got to watch for our other running back choice. You've got, to watch the, you've got to watch the health of Kadeem Carey. Right now, Kadeem Carey is still not practicing with that hamstring injury. So I want to go back to uh, Dedrick Mills, uh, who had a great game last week. He's $4,000. If he starts, that's 100% the way to go. If not, you're going to have to juggle things around. And depending on... Depending on what it looks like with Andrew Harris, it may even be worth, if, if we feel near the end of the week, Andrew Harris isn't 100%, maybe it's worth taking a look at A.J. At Ouellette, who's going to be a really good price um, coming into that game. <laughs> For receivers, JB, how expensive does Dalton Schoen need to get before we stop picking him? What's the, what's the, the measure there? He's the Oliveira of wide receivers. He's starting to get pricey, though.
1: Yeah, no, he's still still nice. I think I, I think he's he's still out of the
0: top five. Yeah, and it, it's amazing. Like every week, he gets touchdowns. Yeah,
1: I you know I don't know. They the, 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 there seems to be a bias towards a certain <laughs> type of athlete, I guess. And uh, I'll take I'll take those undervalued guys all day.
0: Yeah, like Brady Oliveira, we, we didn't pick this week, although he's he's getting up there in price too, though. We've we had to go away from some of our mainstays. But yeah, Dalton Schoen is now six thousand five hundred and seventy-seven. So it's starting to get up there, but that's still really good value for him. And on the other side, we've got Brian Burnham. So those two receivers I feel really comfortable with. Burnham at seven thousand seven hundred and fifty-nine. Love those two guys as the receiver. And then a little bit of uh Argo's flavor to our flex position, Cam Phillips, one of our other value picks who we've been riding for several weeks now. He catches touchdowns. He catches long bombs. He's 3,802. And when you've got a receiving core like Toronto's, who is a little bit banged up with Eric Rogers, not 100%. Brandon Banks mispracticed today for personal reasons. Uh, and he wasn't starting last week. So Cam Phillips, I, I feel like is, is a, a way to go for 3,800. I think that's a steal. For defense's uh, is there any question about this? Like, I, I this was my first instinct. It was your first instinct too. Are we overlooking somebody? We've got Saskatchewan at three thousand two hundred. It's the minimum price. They're at Edmonton. Uh, are, is there anyone we're missing that we're we're not really considering? The, the The value plays are Toronto, who's going to Hamilton. Montreal, who's up against Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Uh, Hamilton, obviously, or taking the Elks defense, which I would never suggest for anybody. I like it's got to be Saskatchewan, right?
1: Yeah. You pick against Edmonton all day.
0: I think if you did have some leftover money and you wanted to go with Winnipeg's defense against Montreal, maybe. But Montreal's so weird; they did, sometimes they just have those games where they'll put up forty points. Uh, I don't see that happening against Winnipeg, but I just don't think it's worth the extra six hundred bucks when that can be the difference uh, between you getting, uh, you know, someone like someone like Brian Burnham or or Dalton Schoen versus someone you're less happy with. So yeah, I think Saskatchewan defense is the way to go. It's time for our picks. JB, you were three and one last week. I was four and zero. We've, you know, we're we're sort of uh, uh, one week on, one week off right now. Uh, we need a second straight solid performance. Let's go through uh, our picks for this week. Montreal at Winnipeg. Uh, I'll go first. I, I've got Winnipeg in this one. I just I'm going to keep taking Winnipeg until they lose um, because I've been punished too many times picking against them. Yeah, at home.
1: Um, I got Winnipeg too I mean uh yeah i I they they seem you know they uh Montreal came really close at home after the third quarter they had a tied, and then Winnipeg just blew the doors off them um they finish Montreal doesn't i I like Winnipeg at home a lot.
0: Winnipeg just finds a way to win, even when they play terribly, they still win the game, and that's you just have to keep picking them. Uh, Toronto at Hamilton. I've got Hamilton in this one. You've got Toronto. Uh, BC at Calgary. This is this is the game of the week. This is a pretty exciting one. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to this one more than any other game this week. Uh, I want to see how BC responds to the attention. Because last time they, they fell, when Winnipeg went into BC on a short week, BC got demolished. They've had a chance to adjust. How did they do this week? I... I personally think they've got too much firepower, especially now with Burnham healthy, when you've got all those guys like like Rhymes, Burnham, Whitehead. And, and you're not even like... Keon Hatcher is like a, an afterthought as a receiver, and he's excellent. Uh, and and Butler as a running back, I just can't pick against them, even though I think it's going to be a really tight game. I've got BC. Where <laughs> you
1: I thought you were going to have Calgary for sure. Uh, yeah, I have BC too. They are... Um, awesome to watch when they're they're healthy right now i mean they just took that poor team to the woodshed
0: (laughs) i mean it was just
1: (laughs) ugly it was like oh my i mean they could have scored a 100 yeah yeah I, i i mean with with the health that they have right now i i can't see how anybody can beat them uh you know, uh, I think that, they've, you know, they've had a couple of hiccups, so they're not overconfident. Yeah, I, lo- I like BC in Calgary.
0: Yeah, Nathan Rourke's stats last week. Forget the 34 for 37 part, like 92% completion, 477 yards passing, five touchdowns. Uh, yeah, he's awesome. And so I, I think he's going to, he's going to, I don't think he's, it's not going to be like that. No, but they're, they're just too good. Um, and I, I just don't think I, I don't think Calgary's going to be able to hang with them. But I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be like that Calgary Winnipeg game in Calgary uh, two weeks ago where, uh, man, that was an exciting one, too. And just Calgary was one touchdown short. I think it's going to be much like that this week. And the last game, Saskatchewan at Edmonton. I'm thinking Saskatchewan. They're coming off a bye. I'm not picking Edmonton again until they give me enough reasons not to. Are you going to risk it, JB? <laughs>
1: no. They've lost like 48 in a row at home or something. They're not going to beat Saskatchewan off the bye, essentially fighting for
0: their season. I yeah, think, which is so weird to think about.
1: Yeah, I think that, oh man, it's it's going to get ugly out there because <laughs> when you're a coach and you you get blown out, it happens to the very best. But you get blown out two weeks in a row, guys are going to start texting each other, okay? There's going to be some <laughs> eyebrows kind of raised at different ideas Like because players don't believe that they are not talented enough to compete. That's not how players think. Uh, coaches may feel that way, but that if they get blown out again this week, which I think they will, uh, it could get really ugly in in Edmonton
0: I feel bad for the Red Blacks fans and the Elks fans is it too much to ask for a home win uh, I would, uh, yeah, I don't want to see Ottawa win, but I kind of do. Ottawa's got some great fans, and they've 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 stopped coming now. Like it's got to the point where it has affected attendance. They were so good last season, showing up despite that team being terrible last year. The team's actually not bad this year, but people have stopped coming to the building because they're tired of. Well, you, there's only so they, many losses you can watch,
1: especially when your guys are throwing the ball in the air after being tackled or smacking it to the ground when you have the winning touchdown i mean if i were an ottawa fan i would never it reminded me of sort of old tfc where when i left the stadium i just you know i'm never coming back you know i'm like that that is outrageous i can't i can't support this where do you guy gets tackled throws the ball 10, 10 feet in the air like he's never played
0: football before i i still can't believe they didn't beat montreal all right. So that'll wrap up our picks. Hopefully, JB, I'm hoping, I don't know if you've had two good weeks in a row yet, uh, but one, maybe if you, you hit on a couple of these, uh, you'll you'll be able to slowly make your way back into this one. Uh, anything else for this week? Yeah. Just wanted to give a quick shout out to
1: my good friend, Doug. Uh, keep fighting, man.
0: And that will just about do it for us on this episode of the Exes and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.